everyone, welcome back to QSR Nation, your go-to source for food service marketing and business strategies for success. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of QSR Nation, and we are once again coming to you um, th- recording from the uh, Maristar here in St. Charles, Missouri at our second annual GRIT Summit Business Conference. Um, Anthony and I are here, and we have another guest um, with us who's been on the show before, um, Frank Beard. Welcome back to the show. Hey guys, thanks for thanks for having me back on the show. Yeah, yeah. it was great to see you again, great to have you here as a speaker for us as well. You know, I mean, I, having someone who has uh, such a great and diverse background in the the analytics in the industry to help us understand where we're going in the future is really, really key for our franchisees and other uh, attendees here at the summit. Well, I'm just here for the free food, honestly. Um, (laughs) He says it as I have fries right in front of me. (laughs) See, I don't have anything in front of me right now because I just ate a ton of that new pizza that you guys came out with. which needs to get to my market soon because it's really good. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, Working we, on it. Yeah, you want to own a franchise or just sidetrack this whole podcast right now? No. I love that Frank picked up our number one attribute on our pizza right away. He, yeah. said, he said the crust is really good, and I know it sounds a little bit weird, but the crust is really good. The crust is top-notch. It's, it's distinctive, and that's what I like. I feel like a lot of branded food service programs are kind of, you know, feel similar sometimes. There's always that risk. This is different. Like, this pizza, uh, the garlic on it, the way the crust is done, um, it's very enjoyable. It's. I think you guys had a home run on this awesome. one. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear that, it. That's not a paid in- endorsement there. <laughs> no. Not yet. He, not he'll yet. get us up for money later. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, so one of the things that uh, you talked about in your session today was kind of like where things can basically be going and how 2020 was basically a test run for the future of of convenience industries. Yeah, I think it definitely was. Um, So this is the concept of, you know, COVID being a 20, or sorry, COVID being a dress rehearsal. It came out of an article I co-authored with uh, Brandon Lawrence, the founder of Fuel Insight. We had just been talking all last summer about what's going on, trying to connect the dots on things. And we settled on this idea that COVID was really just a dress rehearsal. The thing is, there's been concerns raised for years about the outlook for fuel demand. Um, the cars are burning less gas. Um, I mean, got to think back to what a Ford F-150 got when I was a kid. It's not that way anymore, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've got electric vehicles coming in, which, you know, start every day with a full charge. And, you know, these things already have a range that's multiples of what the daily miles driven is. So um, there's headwinds that are coming down the pipeline here that are going to really challenge fuel demand. And COVID simulated those conditions by forcing a drop in volume on retailers. Now. A lot of folks aren't getting this message though because they got thrown a lifeline that is kind of you know making them see it differently they got stock up behavior in the store which helped offs- offset some of the drop in inside sales and they also got uh historically high fuel margins because oil crashed none of that was due to the strength of the businesses but rather just pure luck it was a lucky break and it's, it's good it happened it kept a lot of people in good shape but what retailers need to ask is if they were forced to contend with those volume, uh, those drops in volume that they had last year and they did not have those advantages, is their business prepared to thrive or tread water? You know, a company like Domino's, Domino's was prepared. Not that they knew COVID was coming, but because they spent 10 years basically building the digital infrastructure to service a person off premise. Um, It's telling with convenience retailers, you know, it spent years developing apps uh, for retailers. All these retailers had apps that couldn't service an off-premise customer. 
Right. You know, they were designed to try to convince a person to come into the store by blowing up their phone with push notifications for deals and discounts, but it couldn't serve a person who didn't want to come inside. So I think this, this whole scenario raise, raises a lot of questions. And that's basically what I was just here to talk about. Yep. Well, and I think they're great things to talk about because, you know, if you have whether it's hybrid or electric or just better gas, you know, combustion chamber engines giving you better fuel economy, what becomes my incentive as a consumer to stop into a convenience store now? I mean, and, and that's a question people need to be asking. And um, part of what I included in my presentation was I unpacked a report I worked on with some folks overseas really analyzing uh, the 10-year outlook for the industry. So if anyone wants a copy, send me a message, or it might be on the podcast description too. I'm not sure, but we'll figure that out. But uh, this report, um, basically, one of the things that we settled on was there's a key strategic question facing the industry that demands an answer right now, and retailers need to shift from planning to actually providing an answer. And the question is, why will the customer of 2030 visit my roadside outlet or interact with it online? And to your point, that's really the, the elephant in the room here. This is an industry that really has gotten by for years servicing the American motorist as they go from one destination to another and fueling those journeys and hitting them up on impulse and necessity when they're pumping gas for some smokes and cokes. It's a model that's worked really, really well, obviously. But um, if the ability of the fuel canopy to generate traffic starts to decline, then you're going to have to have another reason for someone to be coming to that store. And a lot of retailers right now lack a differentiator. Their product selection is based around the major CPG companies. Their customer experience may be a little outdated. Um, they haven't had to invest in it like the department stores and the malls and the other retailers have because fuel puts a moat around the business that makes it really disruption proof. But there's headwinds coming toward fuel demand and that's one of those things. This is a good time to start planning. Um, it's not gonna happen tomorrow, but it's probably gonna happen at some point. So it's a good time to think about it. Yeah. Well, and like to your point, you know, so one of the reasons why Domino's was so successful and has continued to be successful is 10 years of infrastructure. Yeah. So they were, they were planning for the future without knowing what the future was going to bring. And you could say it was, you know, very insightful planning or good luck or whatever you want to, you know, coin it completely bad luck with the pandemic that they benefited from. But at the end of the day, you know, they had their structures in place. And so, you know, as you're talking, that's what I'm hearing. You know, if, if I'm a, if I'm a uh, prospective franchisee or if I'm owning, you know, a convenience store right now, I'm thinking if I have great food, that can actually make me a destination. And I, you know, got double digit margins and solid margins in food service, which I'm probably making a lot more in food service than I am in the rest of my store anyhow. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So it's like, I mean, if, if I'm thinking about remodeling in the next two years, my location, I'm hearing you say I need to probably have food service as a part of that plan, that remodel. Yeah, the report that I uh, was a co-author on, our, one of our big takeaways is that food service is very much the future of the industry. Um, Scott Annan, one of the um, co-authors, and the, he is the head of the Independent Retailer Owners, Independent Retailer Owners Forum based out of London. Um, he's fond of saying that, look, everyone eats and drinks three times a day. That's thousands of sales opportunities. It's, you're serving you're reaching everybody, not just the cigarette customers, not just, you know, all these little, you know, subgroups. Yeah. Everyone eats and drinks three times a day. And the thing is, I really think that um, the quick service restaurant industry has left a competitive gap a mile wide that retailers can just drive right through. Um, 
you know, I talked about this a little bit. It's like this industry is really unique in that you have some retailers out there creating Apple level, uh, you know, Apple levels of brand fanaticism about their companies. You, you know, Bucky's is the obvious example. Right. Um, I mean, God knows I have a disturbing amount of their paraphernalia that I've acquired, <laughs> um, you know, but I mean, Bucky's is selling t-shirts to kids as ideas for Bucky and coloring books that where you help Bucky uh, find some beaver nugs on the way to the beach. Like, <laughs> Which, by the way, if you've never had those, they are the goldenly delicious. I haven't. <laughs> Especially the cinnamon I, ones. I, I may have some in my pantry at the house, and I don't even live near one. <laughs> <laughs> we also like the... Family travels. <laughs> quick aside here, we also like the beaver buddies. Uh, they're basically their version of animal crackers, but they put some sprinkles in it or something. It's just a little extra that just makes it distinct, and my wife and I are hooked on these things. But, you know, to that point, though, you got brands like Bucky's, brands like both Quick Trips, I would argue, um, brands like Sheets and Wawa, where they're producing unbelievable levels of brand fanaticism. I have watched as Quick Trip with the K has moved further south into central Iowa and blanketed the Des Moines metro area. I've watched some of my own family members in a, in a visit or two be converted into brand advocates. Yeah. You know, one of them, she'll, she'll open the refrigerator and proudly show off all the products she buys from the store because she's so excited to talk about it. And I think this says something about this industry um, because I don't see that coming from the quick service restaurant industry. I sure as hell don't see it coming from the dollar store industry. Yeah. There are some in the quick service restaurant industry, but you take a company like Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A gets rewarded for doing the bare minimum because the standards are set so low by their competitors. McDonald's, doesn't matter how much I've spent over, over the past you know, 35 years of my life at McDonald's, um, if I pull in that drive-through lane or if I'm waiting in the drive-through lane and I get to the window at 10.30, one second over, they will not sell me a breakfast sandwich. They couldn't care less, and half the employees inside look, look like they're dead inside. You know, and that's a reflection on McDonald's, not the employees. But that's because they are a assembly line that is designed to get that stuff to you as efficiently as possible. You'll notice if you go through a drive-through lane, they get irritated if you try to talk to them. And yeah. the thing is, like... I guess the, the, the older I get, the less I'm interested in visiting businesses like that. After I had a negative experience at a McDonald's once where they wouldn't sell me food at 10, 30, and 20 seconds, and I was like, hey, guys, I know you're throwing it away. I'm happy to pay for it still. Uh, I just went to a come-and-go uh, down the street because I knew even if they didn't have breakfast ready, they'd make it for me. Yeah. And that's what I think convenience retailers are in a really unique position to just kill it in food service. Yeah, well, and um, it'd be that community store. Yeah, and years ago, you know, no one wanted to go eat at a convenience store, yeah. but like those industry <laughs> leaders that you mentioned, you know, Wawa and um, Bucky's and those those types of industry leaders, um, they've really flipped the mindset of consumers. And like we say, rising tide raises all ships. So like all, all these, you know, now it's more accepted. So if, if you're a C store that doesn't have a food service program, well, there's plenty of options out there and the consumer mindset has changed and they're more open to, you know, actually purchasing food at your, at your convenience store. Well, I mean, look at Casey's. Yeah. What's their tagline? They're a convenience store, by the way. Yeah. What's their tagline? Famous for pizza. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they understand where the margin drivers are and, and the opportunity for future stakeholders. Because what they'll do is, I mean, and it, granted, they have a taco pizza that I absolutely love, you know. Um, it's it's like, now I'm hungry for it because I just said it. It's weird. <laughs> um, our breakfast pizza is better. Um, I said it. Fight me. But <laughs> there's, um, but when you, when you look at it, though, I mean, People go there just for the pizza. Yeah. I mean, that it is a destination for food. They don't need gas. They don't need even a two-liter of soda or pop or coffee. They're going there. They're, they're yeah, ordering absolutely. pizza through the Casey's app. They're going to that as a restaurant destination. And 
when you have these chains that are starting to flip it over to a restaurant, and we always say, you know, be a restaurant that sells gas if you're a convenience store. You know, these types of, of uh, mindsets are the ones that can win out. And even as an independent, you can still win out, you know, because you just, you've got the opportunity still to make changes, to make adjustments to your business, to invest in your future so that you can also be a very disruptive competitor in your local market. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, bringing up Casey's is a good point, you know, because that's a business that really, um, you know, kind of does have an answer to that question of why will someone drive to your store or interact with it online? And it's that they've spent years building a food service brand that's well respected. And, you know, I used, to, I used to live in Ankeny. I lived not too far from their headquarters and one of the stores by me. I mean, you could park a car after about 5 p.m. in that parking lot and just watch. There's a constant flow of cars pulling up going inside and coming out with two or three pizza boxes and it just does not stop. Yep. And that's the business that they run. Um, so it's, you know, kudos to them for being an early adopter on that, but it's, it's, um, one sounds of the like, things. sounds like they need to drive through is what they need. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. I'm sure they'll I be coming next. <laughs> you know, drive throughs are, are interesting. I remember, um, I ran this large survey a few years back and I wanted to really dig into consumer drive through behavior. And one of the things I, I wanted to try to get a sense of from this is, for the people that do use the drive-through, how many of them are only going to choose to go to a place that has a drive-through? Like, how many for them is that non-negotiable? I mean, it was it was around 20% of people that were responding to the survey that were in that bucket. And when you drill down into why, it was a lot of things, and it definitely differed by age group. But you, you saw, especially folks over the age of 30, a lot of them wanted a drive-through because they had kids in the car. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's going to take longer. I ran an experiment a few year, years of, years ago in Des Moines where I spent an entire week every morning. I'd go and hit three QSRs and three C stores. I did different areas around Des Moines each day, and I timed myself for how long it took to exit the road, grab a single breakfast sandwich, and, and get back onto the road. So for C stores, I walked in the store. For the QSRs, I sat through the drive-through. C stores were about three, about three times quicker. You're pulling up to the front door, you go and grab and leave. The drive-throughs, there were a couple quick ones, but there were a lot of slow ones. And right. when's a drive-through slow? When everyone wants to get food yeah. at the same right. time. Yeah. I think I was at a McDonald's, it was like a 15 minute wait because they didn't have the food ready. Starbucks, of course, had 30 cars in line. Um, one was an office mega order, so it bottlenecked it a bit. You know, but the thing is, a lot of people are okay with that because a drive-through in and of itself, even if it takes more time, is a certain form of convenience. And um, I think it's such a natural fit at C-stores. Where they struggle, if you talk to drive-through experts, um, is they don't always, I think, fully appreciate that there's like five decades of thought leadership and development behind the concept of the modern drive-through. When you look at the things like King Casey designs or you know, like what Starbucks has, what McDonald's has, it's not as simple as cutting a hole in the wall and now you got a drive-through. There's a whole operational conversation right. and planning that needs to be had. You need to think about the different zoning and how you communicate down to, I mean, just the design of the menu board so much. But yeah. I think if convenience stores figure that out, if you have a drive-through and a killer food service program, like that's a good position to be in. Yeah. That's a really good position. Right. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, you and I visited last night and I, I was talking to you about a place called Sea Barn in Farmington, Missouri. Oh, yeah. And so Sea uh, Barn, they've got a couple locations, one in Park Hills and they got um, two over there in, in Farmington. And one in Park Hills and the, the one on the corner of Cars Boulevard, they both have champs in them. The one that is really unique is like one of the, is the one that's just a couple blocks away from the one off Cars Boulevard. There, it's actually built like a barn with a big overhang and everything. And 
you can just drive in through the overhang, tell the window what you want, and they'll go grab your Hershey bar. They'll grab your uh, kids the freezies. They'll get you a, a Pepsi, grab a pretzel stick and a jerky, <laughs> whatever, bag of jerky on the way back, and you're buying it right through the car. I mean, boom, done, gone. And, you know, my family really liked it because especially when we had little kids, never had to get out of the car. Yeah. You know, and also from, you know, um, you know, their mom really liked it. Our kids' mom really liked it really because of the fact that, like, it was a safety net for her. Oh, because yeah. when she had Absolutely. the small ki- kids with her, I was at work and, you know, she was running around that. She didn't have to get out of the car. She had to unbuckle kids. She didn't have to do, I mean, there's just so many things. So, I mean, I really, I'm right there with you. I think drive throughs at C stores, they can kill it, you know, and... It's just a matter of getting the right, proper planning and, you know, taking the time to, you know, to really get folks involved to make sure your flow and execution is going to go well. But I'm all for that. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's interesting, too, because one of the things that I brought up in the, pres- in the presentation and I really tried to drill down on, um, we put in the paper that I worked on four different pillars of success that will define the folks that thrive in 2030. And... One of them was execution and the basics. And something I think is interesting too, uh, just getting to that customer experience is, um, you know, if the ability of the fuel canopy to generate foot traffic starts to decline, I really think the bill's gonna come due for people that have ignored the customer experience and contributed to the stigma of the dirty gas station. Um, I think that's gonna be a huge issue actually. Um, the, only, the only reason folks get away with that is because, you know, they're a relevant business right now because they sell a highly regulated commodity and occasionally can convert people to come in the store and buy some stuff. But if there's less people coming there and you have to convince a person to come to the store, they're not going to choose to go to a place that's dirty or sketchy or dangerous or, you know, makes your, your mom or your wife or your sister feel unsafe, you know, places like that. So, and there's a lot of great examples of folks that are figuring this out and how to do it well. I think what's been a challenge is I think we, we all kind of just have an expectation of lower standards for C-Store customer experience. And I've, been in stores that have great food service programs but then the, ba- the bathroom will look terrible and I'm like why do they tolerate that well maybe just because gas stations have dirty restrooms and that's just the way it is but then you go to folks like uh, the greater I-55 uh, truck stop truck stop in Bolingsbrook Illinois um, maybe this is an example of what happens when you have leadership uh, in your company that are women <laughs> but the bathrooms get really nice <laughs> and I was like you know we kind of need more of that but uh, this place is amazing um, their restroom, the, the the women's restroom. My sister went in to take the photo, so I didn't get arrested. But uh, <laughs> she, I was wondering where that was going. Yeah, she she came out and she looked at me and she goes, "Oh my God, this this is I think the nicest restroom I've ever seen. Yeah. It looks like a club, like it looks like an actual club in there, and it is so fancy. The men's restroom was more like a lacquered wood kind of vibe, you know, kind of an industrial look. Um, but I just love that they did this. It's just a truck stop, you know. But why can't a truck stop have great yeah. restrooms? Why yeah. can't a small independent store have the best restrooms in the town. I mean, a person could literally put a billboard or a sign in, in the front and just say, voted best restrooms in the state for three years. No yep. one's no one's going to know where that came from. No one's going to know that, you know, the competition was just from family members. Yeah. It's a marketing ploy and it'll get people talking. But then when they come in the store, make sure they're, they are literally the best restrooms in the state. Yeah. And that's just, I that. mean, it's a different, it's a, differentiator right yeah and there's a million options for everybody to go to and that's that's their differentiator which is really cool yeah and that's one of the things that when we launched our secret shop program we had people ask because one of the questions we have on there is we have the secret shopper they're there, they're there to check out you know the the tacos or the nachos or the chicken or the customer service and the yeah. customer service but 
we have people say, why do you have them go to the bathroom? Key, key component there. Like you just said, if, if your bathroom is dirty, what is the reflection on possibly the, the employee sentiment? Are, are the employees not keeping the bathroom clean so they aren't clean? I mean, that carries over, you know? I mean, there, you know, there's an old term that says cleanliness is next to godliness, right? So, I mean, make sure that that is one of them. I mean, you need to have good curb appeal, but you need to have clean restrooms. And I love the point you're saying it. Make them the best in town because that way families feel comfortable too if they want to stop in, if they, if they have to take their kid in or whatever, especially in, you know, today's world where everybody, you know, is, is hypersensitive now to, you know, germs and, and cleanliness. It's so important because all of that transpires, if maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, to a consumer when they're choosing to eat there. Yeah, the restrooms are, I mean, it's, it's a litmus test for the entire store. If yep. the restrooms are bad, it's a sign that there's problems elsewhere. Yep. And, you know, this is just my kind of a pet peeve I have, but I really think the mistake a lot of people make is when they're designing their stores, from the perspective of a restroom, they're just buying the wrong stuff. I mean, it's not that they need to spend more money on it. In some cases, that's definitely the case. But sometimes they're just they're just buying the wrong things. You know, they're not working with a good designer who knows how to pay attention to the aesthetics of it or knows how to make it feel like it has some heart and soul. I mean, you've got companies in this industry that are almost 100 years old. Yep. You know, why aren't there old black and white photos of the old stores? Why aren't there old logos, you know, that are you know, kind of redesigned into neon lights? Like, why... But you go in the restrooms and they kind of do the equivalent of like the beige desktop tower and they're doing that vibe for the restrooms. You know, it's industrial, it looks old, outdated when it's already built. Right. They put ugly sinks in there, ugly tile. Um, they're just buying the wrong things. And why for the life of me, I don't understand people continue to put these flimsy dividers around the toilets where yeah. you can see people through the cracks in the divider. <laughs> yeah. Nobody likes that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, some of these single store guys, I mean, they probably got a friend they can get to help a drywall if they get him a 12, you know, six pack of beer. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. there's ways around this. There's solutions here. Yeah. Um, but just change, it's a matter of changing the mindset, right? You know, they're just used to those ways, but. It, but restrooms, it's, it's one of those things we all like love to talk about, and it's amazing that more people don't put attention into it. But there's some there's there, there's some folks that are really getting this right. Um, if you're ever out in Bend, Oregon, uh, buddy Kent Couch has a store um, in East Bend that always has the best restrooms. I mean, he made that a priority years ago. They're constantly renovated. Um, I was at a conference once actually showing a photo of his restrooms in my presentation. He happened to be at it and came up to me afterward and he goes, I've actually re redone them again. <laughs> That's awesome. But when you go to a store like that, I mean, you'll tell everybody yeah. about those restrooms. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, that is a great tag is clean restrooms. Yeah. You know, great food, great service, clean restrooms. Yeah. I'll eat there. Chances are I'm pulling over there. Yeah. I'll tell you something funny. I saw this picture online, but um, you know, you all know how Bucky's does the crazy billboards. Um, there was a truck stop that had done a billboard about stopping a few miles. We got clean restrooms. Someone took a photo of this. Bucky's had, I think like purchased a billboard right above it, put a sign that said, you can hold it 20 miles. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. That's awesome. That's great. I but love, I love good. That's good the power of clean restrooms though. Yeah. So, but that's basically it. In a nutshell, what I was talking about, it's just, you know, COVID was really a test run. It was a dress rehearsal. It simulated those conditions with a drop in fuel volume. And yeah. look, it's not going to get any easier from a volume perspective. I think electric vehicles in particular are a, uh, a huge concern. I think there's a lot of folks out there that are propagating the nar a narrative of what happens when someone is driving around and needs a charge. But the simple reality is these cars already have 300 plus miles of range on them. Yeah. Right? These new cars coming out. 
I don't drive 300 miles in a day. I don't think any of us at this table do. Um, you can forget to plug in multiple evenings and still be fine. Yeah. Um, when you look at countries like Norway, and like I haven't been there, but I try to get my hands on all the reports I can about their EV market since it's so much further ahead uh, compared to ours. I mean, they're showing that in some cases, one report says 65% of EV owners in apartments say they're charging at home weekly or more frequently. Yeah. You can put chargers at apartments. Apartment complexes can build them into parking spaces. Yep. And you know what? Even if they don't, even if every person who lives in an apartment needs a public charger, they're going to have other public chargers that they can access. And it's a drastically different situation than the fact that 100% of drivers now need to use your fuel pumps. Yeah. So in my I could be wrong, but it seems to me that an, a charger is an amenity. It is not a core value proposition. And if folks think that they're going to replace pumps with chargers and keep the traffic flowing, I think they're badly mistaken. Yeah. I don't think that's the way it's going to go. No, and, and I, I agree. I mean, I know um, I wanted to put in a, a, a charger at our uh, Blue Taco and Whole Summit mm-hmm. to have that, you know, because we're right along the way, a lot of traffic down to uh, the lake and uh, some folks uh, disagreed, and then uh, the new Marriott or whatever it is that they built, they, they put in. Oh, they did? <laughs> yeah, I think they've got like two or three of them there now. So yeah. at, at the end of the day, they don't have to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. They just have to be somewhere. <laughs> yeah, know? that's right. But And, at, you know, putting one in may be a perfectly fine decision for, for a particular store. It's just that it's yeah. a very different thing than fuel pumps. No, absolutely. Yep. It's very different. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So that's what I was here to talk about. But yeah, I mean, right. go ahead. I was just say, yeah, well, we thank you for, uh, one, uh, hosting a session here at Grit Summit. That's yeah. very much appreciated. And we also thank you for coming on our show again. It's, it's great to have you. Yeah, I was just excited to be invited to come here. It's nice to be back at industry events. And, exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's, like, so much energy here. Everyone's just, I think, happy to be here in person and be able to hang out and meet people and chat. And it's nice, you know, after not having that for a year. Absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, there's been a lot of energy. You know, I'm sure you guys hear everybody celebrating the baskets being shot in the background down yeah. here at the table. So <laughs> this is the real deal. Yeah, that's right. We're having a lot of fun here. But uh, Grant and I are uh, going up next here in about 15 minutes, yep. so we'll be speaking, um, but not on the podcast. No. Um, so in front of live people. So, in front um, of a live studio audience. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. live studio audience. From St. Charles, Missouri. Yeah, that's right. But, Frank, again, thank you so much for being here. Happy to have you on the show. Anytime you want to be on, man, appreciate your insights. And uh, for everyone listening, have a good one. We'll see you the next time. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Be sure to join us again for the next episode of QSR Nation.